1: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
2: Hello, and welcome back to Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast and Happy New Year. Matt was reliably telling me before. We came on air that it has been over a month since we last spoke to you. So I hope you had a very, very good Christmas and New Year. Um, And you've been enjoying the last couple of weeks of European rugby. Or if you're a Glasgow Warriors fan, you've just been getting through it. Um, As ever, it is David, Matt and Alan right here to catch you up on absolutely everything that's been going on in Scottish rugby. Looking back at the last two rounds of European fixtures and ahead to um, Scotland's impending Grand Slam in the Six Nations next month. Alan,
0: happy new year. How are you doing? Good, good. Um, got really get excited on Friday when we, we all secured tickets to the Millennium Stadium for Scotland's first win, at, win in Cardiff for 20 years. So, no, this, uh, the future's looking bright.
2: The future's looking very bright, particularly when you consider we're going to be two from two after that game. After winning, securing the Calcutta Cup again,
0: I think if we take down the first two, yeah, it's all all roads lead to Dublin and oh, the Grand Slam. Absolutely, Matt. Are you, are you feeling that sort of positive energy for the year?
3: I mean, I'm very excited about the Six Nations for sure, and I think particularly the the Wales away trip, uh, logistics of which I think still need to be figured out. But getting a ticket, although it is just you know a big group of us going with a Scotland squad that doesn't have like a kind of excuse in terms of there's no injuries Um, Wales also have a lot of injuries it's setting it up to be like one of the worst days of being a Scottish rugby fan
2: it's it's got Wales 28 Scotland 12 written all over it with us going (laughs) in like 21 nil down at half time. exactly having not fired a shot but at least maybe we can tap into the SIU um, Strongbow Dark Fruits sponsorship at some stage. That always There always seems to be a crate of that traveling south whenever they go. So maybe that's something that we need to tap up. Maybe not. Well, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, 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 mate. Can't wait for the Dark Fruits. <laughs> yeah, cool. good one. Thanks, guys, for your um, enthusiastic support. As ever, and for all of you new listeners, hey, there may be some of you joining us um, in the run up to the Six Nations. You can also find us on Twitter at Thistle Rugby Pod, on Instagram Thistle underscore Rugby underscore Pod, and why not sign up to our newsletter that comes out every Monday morning? Um, that's on Substack Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast, um, and it's Matt's handiwork. It really is a fantastic one-stop shop for everything that's been going on in the world of Scottish rugby that week. So get yourself on the Substack. And get yourself stuck in to that. Um, so, agenda, chaps. Let's start off with a little bit of news, some sort of recapped bits. It's almost like we're starting with any other business. We're then going to talk about Europe, and then we're going to dive into that Scotland squad. And I think, Alan, you've got a quiz as well. Do you want to tempt us? What is, what is that? Give us a little teaser. Uh, social media influence. Oh, <laughs> clout. Scottish rugby clout. Looking forward to it. Well, if that doesn't keep you through the rest of the pod, I don't know what will. Let's kick off with the Scottish women. Um, News this week that Hong Kong and Samoa have dropped out of the qualifying tournament, um, which means that Scotland will play the winners of Kazakhstan and Colombia for a shot at going to the uh, Rugby World Cup. Um, Matt? Who would you back out of Kazakhstan and Colombia to come through that? I know you follow the women's game in that part of the world particularly closely.
3: Well, it's interesting sometimes with the the women's and men's games that it doesn't... I think it tracks pretty well in terms of who are the best teams on both sides, but sometimes it doesn't quite. So I think Italy are a lot stronger at women's than they are at men's. Kazakhstan versus Colombia, though, I have absolutely no idea. I mean, I think that Colombia were better... when we. When they first came across our radar a few months ago, um, and it was revealed that they're known as the Toucans and have a their logo is this big, (laughs) quite quite good looking toucan. Um, I think they're better than we expect. So that's at least I have a little bit of knowledge about them. I have absolutely no idea what Kazakhstan are like. well, I mean, let me tell you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, like to travel. I wouldn't like to particularly, if I was Colombia, travel all the way to Kazakhstan to play a game. So I so might play in their favour.
2: Matt, there are 61 ranked teams in the Women's World Rankings. Where are you putting Colombia in that?
3: Like 32nd?
2: They're slightly higher than that. They're at 26. The Kazakhs at 15, though. So Kazakhstan are are the favourites on world rankings um, as we go in. Scotland um, sitting at number nine in that table for everyone keeping tabs. Kazakhstan's last win or the last reported fixture on the World Rugby website was a 15-0 win against China. So there you go. And that was in 2019. So that is the most up-to-date information we've got there.
0: Scotland have a 100% record against Kazakhstan as well. Played once. Oh, do they? In 2006. And they beat them. Where? where?
3: What was the the occasion?
0: Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie to you. That is the limit of my... Wait a minute, actually. (laughs) I found it. Oh, I think in the 2006 Women's Rugby World Cup in Edmonton, Canada... Scotland beat Kazakhstan 32-17. <laughs> oh,
1: Get right, it okay, right, right up,
0: you Kazakhstan. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, but, I mean, it's, it's genuinely something to genuinely is something to, to look forward to, and uh, the women have done very well with obviously the last ditch win against Ireland, then a strong performance um, against uh, Japan. Oh, it's Japan wasn't related to the World Cup, was it? No, that was just a sort of autumn awesome international.
0: In the Asia Rugby Championship, yes. Wikipedia has some rogue info. The only <laughs> Kazakhstan <laughs> did play and beat the Scottish women's students in 1994 in Kakadi. <laughs> in 1994, yeah, Kazakhstan beat Scottish uh, students women's team in Kakadi. Nice little. Nice who's little
3: organized? Like who's organized that game? <laughs> yeah. So Who's okay. organising it?
0: Who's writing that on
2: the Wikipedia? Who's updating that? Probably the same person. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one person that knows that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, yeah, please do get in touch. Were you in Kirkcaldy or playing in that match at some stage? Please let us know. Um, but obviously, that so we're going to keep a very close eye on that. Hopefully, the women um, succeeding. There will be they will be favourites regardless of who they play. Um, going into that match, so securing their place at the World Cup later this year. Um, the in the pro game, a couple of new contract signings this side of the new year. Kyle Stain has committed his future to Glasgow, and uh, Grant Gilchrist um, has signed another contract with Edinburgh. Um, let's start with Kyle Stain, Alan. Um, good to keep him in
0: the mix at Scottston. Good. I I think again, Glasgow sort of were a bit shady. Yeah, I think they, they used multi-year extension, which I guess I think means maybe probably two. You'd think mm. um, there seems to be the new
2: parlance. They'll I think they'll say multi-year, long-term. So I think multi-year maybe means two, and long-term maybe means three plus. Yeah.
0: Oh. It's, yeah, well, look, it feels like Kyle Staden's now being seen, obviously, as a, as a winger you know, for, for Glasgow. Um, and I do think that as a position that whilst, obviously, Rufus McLean and Cole Forbes have got um, a lot of promise, that if he was to leave, it'd be a pretty big, big um, gap in that Glasgow squad. So pretty glad that he's been locked down. I also think that just generally... He's been one of Glasgow's probably top performing backs for the last sort of two three years when he's not been not been injured. So no, I think it's um, really good that they managed to to lock him down.
2: And and uh, Matt Grant Gilchrist, absolute um, Edinburgh Ultra, um, has been at the club since two thousand and eleven. This will probably be his last his last contract, seeing it out as a as a one club man. Good to, good to hold on to him.
3: Yeah, well, I suppose. Maybe a year or two ago, it seemed as if with you know Toulis, Hodgson, Sykes, and then the signing of Glenn Young as well this year, who I'm sure we'll talk about, it, was looked pretty impressive on his debut on Friday. You you would have maybe expected Gilchrist to I don't know be be moved on or, or seek out a contract um, in a, in a different country, but to, to be fair to him, in the last like. 6 to 9 months he's come into some really good form for both Scotland and, and Edinburgh um and is almost like a bit of a guaranteed starter now so i think yeah get get a couple more seasons out of him experienced guy who's been there i mean i think it's easy to forget he was i think he was part of that Edinburgh team that got to the um Heineken Cup semi-finals like he's been there for absolute donkey's he's sort of seen like all these different versions of the club uh so clearly a pretty valuable guy to to have around. So it's a good bit of news.
2: Absolutely. And finally, well, is it news? We've bracketed it under news, Um, but we've been picking up here at Thistle HQ some interesting rumours of a potential departure at Edinburgh, which we'll be tweeting about if you would have seen that at Thistle Rugby Pod on Twitter, that Magnus Bradbury may be on his way out at the end of the year. Matt, we, we know his... We know his time is up. Oh, sorry, we know his contract is up at the end of the season with Edinburgh. And perhaps Souter's um Saracens are are interested in taking him taking him down south. I mean, obviously it's all rumors at this stage, but do you think that would be a good move for Bradbury to go and you know cut his teeth in the in the premiership?
3: I think yes and no. I think maybe a, a year ago if he'd had that sort of deal and he wasn't really getting much game time at Edinburgh. Wasn't really on the international scene, you'd think fair play, horse on, go and uh, maybe get a bit more money and try yourself in a different league. I, I do think it's a, if he does leave, it's a bit of a shame considering he has just come back into into a good bit of form. But, you know, I don't begrudge him that kind of move. I mean, his, I mean, his timing's like absolutely impeccable. He's coming up to the end of uh, his current deal um, has come into absolutely class form and attracted the the attention of those i don't know like i suppose nominally bigger clubs like you know I, I think fair play to him um it, i just think it would be a bit of a shame for, i think for edinburgh to lose him as well because he's i think at his best he's probably better than a lot of the other options they have at number 8
2: yeah and we'll absolutely be coming on to talk about um what that means for his scotland selection but as ever keep it with the thistle um, and we will um, scurrilously leak everything we possibly can to uh, see if there's any truth behind these rumours as we go on. Um, that is the very, a very quick canter through some of the news that has been coming out over the last few weeks. I'm sure that between uh, December the 21st and January the 23rd, as we're talking now, there's been plenty of other news, but those were the top picks that we pulled out. Let's now focus our attention on Europe, and let's start with Glasgow. Because I think, Alan, you've you've had one eye on extra Montpellier, um, um, over the last ten minutes, and Glasgow are now officially out of the Challenge Cup.
0: Uh, sorry, the Champions Cup. I th- well, yes, Montpellier have been extra thirty-seven twenty-six. Actually, a bit of a pumping, Jesus! Oh. In the end, um, yeah, which is quite annoying because obviously Glasgow had had. After the first two matches, I think it picked up that losing bonus point in La Rochelle, which I, you know, I think is a really actually a pretty good um, result. And then we had got the win against Exeter, and you know, ultimately have had an away game against Exeter and a home game against La Rochelle, and taken nothing from it. So I appreciate probably in the context of of all the teams in in the competition, it's quite a quite a tough draw. But I think ultimately Glasgow. Didn't didn't deserve to to go through after not so much yesterday's performance, but definitely the performance against Exeter at that last at that last thirty minutes. So my understanding is they now drop into the Challenge Cup, but I'm not sure exactly what um, how that's going to form in terms of who they're going to play. Because I think we said the Challenge Cup's got one more week of um of matches to go. Is that right?
2: Yes, there's one more round uh, of the group stages. The Challenge Cups go. Edinburgh are through, I think, already. Um, but they can top the group if they beat Poe um, in April. But sticking with Glasgow, going down at home 38-30 um, last night to last year's beaten uh, finalists, Lara Rochelle. I mean, Matt, we've been talking an awful lot about this in the last so, 24 hours since the result. I mean... Obviously, losing to a team like La Rochelle is not necessarily a bad thing, but would you say that Glasgow maybe had enough to to get a result last night?
3: I think if they'd managed to combine the away performance against La Rochelle and that home win against Exeter, then yeah, I think they could have. I think that La Rochelle are a seriously good side um, and have probably been in a lot better form than than Exeter in general this year. But I think the, the performance that Glasgow gave last night, two late tries, I think, um, really made made the scoreboard look a lot better than, than it was. I think in most areas, if not pretty much all, apart from maybe the scrum, Glasgow were second best. Um, got absolutely no change at the breakdown. I, th- I think maybe some of the calls were a bit harsh in the ref, but they didn't really adapt to that. Um, their sort of general attacking play it was i think it was the same against exeter just no no real sense of what they were trying to do like a game plan um and, and an inability to sort of create any go forward ball or or bring their more dangerous players into the game um and i think just that sort of key points in the in the game the, the decision making was was pretty poor um and a lot of errors really So i I think on the day it probably revealed that Glasgow are, are a lot further away from La Rochelle than maybe we we thought actually
0: Lachelle were pretty beast to be fair
3: i no as as I say I, I completely agree um they are a really good side and they actually played a lot better i thought than in the
0: reverse fixture, but Glasgow didn't help themselves who do you do you think any of the Glasgow players came out of it looking good? Um, I'd struggle, to be honest. I I thought Um, Cummings and Xander Ferguson both in terms of their defense, but then also obviously Xander with the scrum, both sort of stood, stood up quite well. And I thought, I know we were sort of chatting about it, there was quite a few instances in where there was maybe a lot of tackling, more of sort of grabbing the shirt rather than really really getting low and sort of dropping the shoulder. But I thought Cummings was especially kind of in that first half, really being very sort of abrasive in, in defence and sort of kind of stepping up and, and meeting that challenge that ultimately those Lower Shell forwards were um were putting forward. But um but yeah, I think outside of outside of those two, I think the majority of um the Glasgow pack was was pretty outplayed by that La Rochelle pack. And I think, you know, mm. ultimately I agree that I think in the first five to 10 minutes, Glasgow gave away four pens at the breakdown. And I I, could, I think Fraser Brown <laughs> was clearly getting super pissed off because I think, I, I I did think La Rochelle generally were doing a lot that was, if not illegal, very much sort of borderline. And, and actually there's a couple of times where I think, you know, not so much off their feet, but whether they were holding holding their own weight, I, I'm I'm not mm. sure if they were. So, but ultimately, you've kind of just got to deal with that and and get and get used to it, right? Because it was pretty clear how Carl Dixon was gonna was gonna ref that, um, and and they just didn't seem to. Especially, I would say, I I, I didn't think the I thought all of the Glasgow back row struggled, or at least didn't perform to the level that I was hoping. I I thought Matt Ferguson was a little bit anonymous and then obviously it was pretty soft for specifically one of the La Rochelle tries. And I think Dempsey and Dodge were trying, but were clearly yeah. um, not able to make a massive impact on the match. Because we, we chatted about it. I, I think I'm, I'm definitely not someone that thinks that Dodge should be starting ahead of Watson. But I think if he had, say put in a huge performance last night, I think, you know, that, that, Hype train might have got some got got going a little bit, but I think last night probably showed why Watson is clearly going to be the standout man because at that you know international level, Watson has just managed to prove himself time and time again, especially against big French packs as well. Mm. Um, and I think Dodge was a little was just he, clearly his form has been exemplary, but he he definitely uh, had one of his poorer games yesterday. And Matt, was it a
2: tough uh, a tough night for you and your
0: prediction that
3: Josh Mackay is the greatest signing ever?
1: <laughs>
3: um, I mean, I, I don't quite know why he was given so many of the kicking responsibilities. When I don't think he's particularly known as a kicking fullback, and he looked pretty uncomfortable whenever he, he was getting the ball. It looked, and, and kicking it looked like a pretty unnatural movement. Yeah. Kicking is um, one of
2: those things that you can always tell when somebody does it regularly, if somebody doesn't do it regularly. And he looked like a guy that was, he had to think about how to kick the ball, whereas some people look natural doing it.
3: Well, yeah, I think you. his technique is so different to Ross Thompson, for instance. Yeah. I, I don't. Maybe it was a, a move to sort of take a bit of pressure off the, the younger 10s' shoulders, True. but didn't quite work I mean I, I suppose the other thing you'd highlight is just before half time when he was he made that I mean he's the one that made the break right and mm. probably could have put Kyle staying away um, but you know he still he scored that nice try and he was actually very good under the high ball as well so you know I think it's it's a blip rather than a real hole in my argument I mean
2: I think he started off extremely strong. Just by looking at his haircut, you think that's a guy performing at the top end of his uh, his potential. What it was it? It's Like
1: he's he's
3: had a he's obviously styled it in a mullet and then subjected it to a perm. It's like a it's perm. He's, do you think he's sitting brutal. in
2: Scotland with like rollers rollers in just to like really get that volume? It's something else.
0: Very Kiwi. Oh, so uh, it's so. <laughs> Silky I like it. If, I, I like it. If I'm honest, if <laughs> if I didn't if I didn't have a job that's that that it would generally be socially inappropriate and professionally inappropriate for me to have it. I think I might go down that sort of route. Well, you've got, got a natural curl as well. Yeah, yeah. I've got the volume as well. I've got a very thick lid. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, I mean, so, so Glasgow. Glasgow I, I mean, very disappointing um, last uh, last couple of weeks. I mean big big matches under the belt for a guy like Ross Thompson who is super young have, have we learned anything about about his progression over the last last two weeks
3: I mean it, I suppose it's difficult to tell when your forwards are getting absolutely beasted um, and I think mm. it was the same against Exeter I, I do just you know I mentioned it earlier like in attack I'm just not 100% sure what Glasgow are trying to do and I think that against in the URC you know had that win against Ospreys a few weeks ago against those sort of teams they have enough individual talent that it almost doesn't really matter or it's easier to get those passes into play but I just struggle to see exactly what they're they're trying to do and I think a lot of that falls on Thompson's shoulders and I think that's maybe one of the main reasons that he he has struggled in those last two games I mean but ultimately he's still extremely inexperienced and and young so it's, it's difficult to say I suppose at this stage but it, it kind of feels slightly as if he's being a bit hung out to dry there
1: mm.
0: wow. yeah and I think in both matches he's I mean the match yeah the match yesterday the there was very little a clean ball coming out of any of the sort of glasgow rocks and also broadly they were on the back foot for a lot of the match, and it was a pretty he- heavily packed sort of um, midfield. So, I I actually I don't think we've learned too much, but I actually don't think Ross Thompson was to blame for a lot of a lot of the issues no. that um, that happened yesterday. And actually, those like those sort of two two moments where <laughs> Glasgow were on the attack on Larischel 22, and we either sort of lost the full picture, in the one moment where we gave up the try. I think the f- the first one was Josh McKay and the second one was Ali Price in terms of mm. making mm. those sort of mistakes at very key moments that might have changed the sort of direction of the game. So, um, and actually Ross Thompson's break was fully beast. So it yeah. was sweet. Yeah, yeah. He's he, he's actually got a bit of acceleration. I, I I don't think he looks that fast, but actually you could see that when he sort of put put down the gas, he he's got um he's got quite a lot of speed. But yeah, he he chased down Doolan as well.
3: But when that loose ball was hacked forward, um, and I kind of thought Doolan would be able to score. But I think that the the main concern with Glasgow in recent weeks has just been, I think, the collapses that have happened from points where ultimately, like, they were in the game, um, you know, like two or three points in it, not playing too terribly managing to keep into the content in the contest and then due to sort of individual errors and I think also the the discipline just these like brain dead penalties that they were giving away I think it was the same in the extra game um, in on both occasions has led to this like collapse where within you know 10 to 15 minutes of conceding 20 points plus that that to me is the biggest concern
1: mm.
2: yeah absolutely scoring, scoring first after, the, after half time in both both of those fixtures and then as you say falling away enormously very worrying and they do drop down into the challenge cup where they will uh, they will join Edinburgh I'm not sure what Edinburgh's qualification think, is going to be yet
0: I think it looks likely that Glasgow will play Newcastle Good. say that yeah, yeah. Le- Leicester have had, been absolutely shafted, come top of the group, and they're playing Claremont in the round of 16. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely brutal. There's quite a few, like Ulster came second, and they got to lose. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, quite a few sort of the, the way it's all sort of panned out, actually, there's quite a few sort of um, tough matchups. So, yeah, guys, guys
2: we'll drop that. European rugby, we sort of tuck away now until um, almost like the mid to end of April. Um, There'll be some URC matches before that as well. Uh, So the world will look very, very different. But worth mentioning Edinburgh um, on on Saturday, they ran in 10 tries against Breve um, 66-3 at the Dam Health Stadium. We, we didn't watch it. We were at um, Twickenham Stoop watching Hugh Jones. Tooney sent us down there to keep an eye on him. Um, so we haven't seen the full... I haven't certainly haven't seen the full game, but the um, the highlights are great fun. Um, and Edinburgh, you know, n- nice to get back on the horse after sort of conspiring to a loss against London Irish the previous weekend, Matt.
3: Yeah, and no, I think it, it worked out well in terms of Reeve are struggling in the top fourteen. I think the second bottom, and it yeah. looks like they they sent across a, a bit of a second string, which I I totally understand. So gave Edinburgh a chance to get some good game time uh, ahead of the Six Nations for you know Richie Watson, Darcy Graham, Kinghorn, etc. But then a lot of few of those young guys, and that that's like the ultimate debut. I think for uh, you know the likes of Freddie Owsley. Um, and I think a few of the younger front row guys as well. Oh. So yeah, it looked like there was a pretty good uh, sort of atmosphere around the stadium at the time, and, and Edinburgh managed to put on a bit of a a bit of a show. Uh, and I think you know they they could quite easily have won that game against London Irish last week. Uh, I think that the Challenge Cup is actually they're pretty they're set up pretty nicely for a, a proper tilt at it at the moment.
2: It'd be great for, great for them to go, to go deep. And you mentioned. Um... Some other Davies, Glenn, Glenn Young um, charging down a kick and then running in from 55 meters. But also in the, in the build up to, I think, Freddie Owsley's second try where he kicks, kicks it through, really like tasty take and go, sort of like um, spin pass for like uh, 10, 15, 15 meters, um, which you don't expect from a, a second row. So interesting to see that. Um,
3: no, he looked beast. He looks huge. I didn't, I didn't realise how big he was as well.
2: Yeah. Enormous, tattooed arms. Looks hard. He looks hard, I would say. <laughs> Which is about as much as you can ask for. But Alan, do you think Edinburgh, obviously got, they're, they're competing at the top end of, um, top end of the URC. Do you think they, they'll want to, to go on a bit
0: of a, bit of a go for the, for the uh, Challenge Cup as well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think Blair, Blair seems to be, Doing quite a lot of rotation and sort of not putting. Yeah. I mean, for I don't think for any of the Challenge Cup matches, it's been sort of a, a, the full noise. It's uh, it's been sort of um, some first team players, obviously um, Richie and Watson at the weekend. But then you also have obviously had like Cunavula playing playing at eight, and then obviously people like um, Owsley et etc sort of coming in. So I think using it as an opportunity to kind of um, bring in people here and there. But no, I think, I mean, ultimately, I think, when would, when, if, have Edinburgh ever actually won a piece of silverware?
3: Did they not win the, like, Pro 14 Cup back in the day? Or did they just get to the final? Or there was, like, a Pro 12 Cup yeah, tournament
0: as well. Yeah. I. I, I feel like, you know, <laughs> The idea that you you would ever be like oh we're not going to compete for the Challenge Cup because we're going to try and focus on the the Pro 14 or the sorry URC I just think <laughs> it'd be great given again how popular rugby is in Edinburgh generally just the fact that they've not won um, really any sort of trophies of note for the for the sort of the whole time they've been a sort of professional entity would. Um, would be a good thing and i think probably so the challenge cup is an easier opportunity right (laughs) so um no i think i think they should and i actually think that once they get into the knockout stages they they probably will I'm,
2: i'm looking at their wikipedia uh challenge cup runners up one pro 14 runners up one um 1872 cup Won six times, so (laughs) I don't want I don't think we should rush too quickly to say they haven't won any silverware lads. Um, silverware of note says they won the Melrose Sevens in 2016. Oh, nice, and the Glasgow City Sevens in 2005 and 2006. So I think we can say they've won some stuff. (laughs) Um,
0: but no, I think it was it was good, and I think not only. Obviously, great, good to get people like Hutchison and Owsley and and some game time, but then also someone like Ben Muncaster sort of getting on and getting like thirty minutes. I think he clearly looks like someone they I think they think's got um, a, mm. a good run way ahead of him, and uh, potentially one of the reasons why it potentially becomes less essential that they keep Bradbury next season. And I think it's likely that, but I think it's likely they might get Beth. Um, from, from uh, Kevin Miller has been I think it's likely Bath although it could end up but there's a few other sort of permutations which given sometimes you look at Bath's team and you're like oh it's really sh-. as you said their team is pretty banging but obviously they are generally quite terrible so um, could be quite a nice draw for them I guess at home Edinburgh versus Bath's a great fixture yeah. I'd, I'd love to go and watch that <laughs> it's really um, good at the best at the best Stadium in, in the north as well. Damn health. The damn health stadium. Shall we crack on and talk about what this all means in terms
2: of the Scotland squad and the Six Nations? Yeah. Let's do, do we, that. Do we, Let's,
0: do we want to try and do our 23s and sort of go through and see how aligned we are? We Yeah, why don't we do that after? We just have a quick chat about some of the
2: new new faces and some of the yeah. controversial yeah. ins and outs. Getting ahead of um, Get ahead. Of um, you're, you're getting overexcited. It's all right. I've got I've got a running order, Alan. Don't worry. This is you know this is how it's, <laughs> we're letting everyone see how the sausage is made here. Um, so, Tooney announced his Scotland squad last week. Um, the the uh, usual um, new names. I think Ben White. Matt, would you say Ben White was the sort of? Oh, I d- I don't really know who that
3: person is. Name for the for the squad. Y- yeah, I think when you did a bit of research into him, you're like, ah, maybe I've heard of him, but, <laughs> you know, that that was straight on to Google for him. The other newbies, um, Andy Christie, who
2: was called out by the Thistle in our newsletter last weekend as a potential um, call-up. Uh, Saracen's back row joining the Scotland squad for the first time. And London Irish winger, Kyle Rowe, also joining the, the squad. I mean, I think, Alan, th- those three, um, you would almost put Andy Christie and Kyle Rowe in a sort of separate, separate category to, to Ben White. But do you think we can see any of them challenging a sort of 23 throughout the the Six Nations? Or are they just there to sort of get a taste of the environment?
0: I think without injuries, I think it's very unlikely that any of those three get into a starting 23. I think Kyle, I think Kyle Rowe isn't going to get on the bench because I don't think he has enough um, versatility. So, ultimately, I can see him being either a starter or or nothing.
2: Second most defenders beaten in the Premiership this year behind Duhan van der Merwe.
0: So, nice to have have both of those slots locked out by some Scots. So strange as well to, you know... I mean, whilst obviously great that Kyle Rowe has, has come through and clearly London Irish sort of saw something in him I, I don't think there was anyone within the sort of Scottish rugby ecosystem who you know obviously it's sad when Carl Rowe sort of lost his sort of Scotland Simmons contract and clearly he'd been pretty successful for um, for Ayrshire but I don't think anyone saw this um, this level of performance coming I remember no when I saw him get the signing no. I, I saw when he signed for London Irish I was like oh well, yeah fair play and didn't really expect much else from it, um, so it's pretty incredible and <laughs> it it'd be, it'd, be su- it'd be super interesting to to know a little bit more about why London or how London Irish um, came, to, came to sign him or kind of what, what they saw that obviously no one in the SOU appeared to see when he got, um, when he got let go yeah I think
3: uh, um, go on. I, I think Andy Christie could possibly challenge. Um, for a spot in 23, just because he can cover six, seven and eight, it seems. Um, And the way that Townsend and Mark McCall have talked about him is that so far in his career, like every sort of um, next stage that he's stepped up to, he's done it pretty easily. Mm. Um, And I, I think Mark McCall was saying, like, when he gets in an international camp environment, he'd expect him to do that again. Um so I think he's got a reasonable chance and maybe capping it against Italy and maybe um that Italy game also is a chance to give Carl a shot starting on one of the wings. Um just you know once again to to see what he's about.
2: rest up the starters before the grand slam tilt in um in <laughs> Dublin. Be nice it'd be nice to see. Um, I mean, returning to the squads is my next sort of bucket of interesting individuals. Um, Magnus Bradbury, who will come on to talk about, uh, Will and Nell, who's left out of the Autumn Squad, um, and Johnny Gray. Um, Alan, we'll come on to your 23 in a sec, but are you putting, put, give us a little teaser. Are you going to put Bradbury in that eight shirt or, ahead of um, Matt Ferguson?
0: Uh, yes, I've got, him. I've got him starting at eight considered floated out in the ether that the idea of the richie watson dodge back three and it was very much considered a terrible idea by (laughs) almost almost everyone I, i i'm still i still don't quite believe that um i i was sort of thinking along the lines of could you you bulk up your backline to then bring those three into the the back row. So potentially you go for you know a two-polo two at twelve. So you just have that, and then you obviously got Duhan, and then it just gives you those sort of those three in the back row. But um, I think it probably does leave you a little bit too too lightweight, especially in in sort of the tight. So no, I think Brad Bradbury eight for me.
2: And and, and said speaking about about now, um, Matt Tuni said that. Nell was sort of like left out of the autumn deliberately to allow them to have a look at some of the other props but Six Nations is about winning Um, so that's why Nell's come back in so do you think we can see expect to see him on in a sort of match day 23 probably on the bench
3: I suppose it would be between him and uh, having Sebastian backing up yeah Akerson and Nell to be fair to him has got that experience and I think in the last sort of six months or so it's like come back into a lot of really good forms for Edinburgh uh, I think yeah. particularly back to that Saracens game where he uh, sort of almost single-handedly actually tore apart uh, that, that Saracens front row and if you, if you want a guy who you know is going to be able to come on and just like shore up a scrum if not win a few scrum penalties then I'm pretty happy with that um, I suppose the guy who's missed out is is Ollie Kebble, mm. who whose versatility is clearly a big plus but I I still think that experiment is to, of him being able to play both sides or the cover tight head as well. Like it's, it was, it is because we don't have many options there rather than it being necessarily like your, your first um, sort of first step in that. And I think that switch is, there's a reason why no one's really done it before. It's really difficult. Um, and I wonder if Kevl on well, the evidence of last night, at least, is like struggling a little bit for for fitness and form. So, yeah, I, th- I think you'll probably see Nell as that sort of go-to tight head uh, number two.
2: And the other returning name from the autumn worthy of conversation, although it's probably a fairly quick conversation, Johnny Gray back from injury. Um, Alan, do you think he will, you know, just naturally take back his starting position in the boiler room? Yes, yes, I do. I think it is a fairly short conversation uh, with Johnny Grace Fit. He starts for Scotland. The big omission Ollie Kevill I had on my list, but he was only my number two of my family fortune's most answered question of big conversations on who missed out on the Scotland squad. (laughs) Adam Hastings coming in, top answer there. Um, Alan, do you think he's got a right to
0: feel pretty hard done by being left out of this squad? I mean, I, I sort of, I guess so, and just with with the fact that there's no limit on how many people you can sort of bring in, bring into a squad. I guess it it gives a little, quite a clear message to to Hastings <laughs> by by sort of not not picking him. You know, especially because you know it's not like he's coming back from injury or anything, and he needs to sort of regain regain fitness. I, th- I thought it was. I thought it would be strange just because ultimately, if Finn, if Finn Russell goes down, my assumption is that Hastings will be called in and he will start. I, I just do not envisage a world where if Finn Russell goes down next weekend, that Blair Kinghorn starts at ten against England. Mm. I, I, th- I think I think it would be pretty mental if I'm honest. Can yeah. you imagine the discourse? Oh my god, it'd be <laughs> so good! <laughs> Scottish
2: rugby Twitter would
0: literally break down. I can't imagine it. So, just gee, you know, I guess that that seems strange to me that if there was no if there was no limit on the, squ- on the squad depth and and fundamentally he he would be. Your second choice after Finn as a starter, it's, it seems strange. I can understand not having him in the twenty three because ultimately I think Kinghorn has now shown enough for you to be comfortable with him covering ten. But um, yeah, I, if, if Finn does, let's say Finn goes down a couple of days before, I, I, I just don't, I don't know why. I don't think even. Scotland players would be particularly comfortable having Kinghorn starting at 10 against England. Which I would assume, with the people that are in the squad, he would be. I mean, that's clearly what Tooney is saying that he seems to think Kinghorn's playing at a level slightly above Hastings.
2: Mm. That, I mean, that's what he said. There was no. That, he was quite straightforward in his comments around it, actually. They're basically saying that they thought Kinghorn was performing better than him, which, you know. From the, I haven't watched huge amounts of Gloucester, but he seems to be doing all right within an okay team.
3: So that's that's the thing. Gloucester, Gloucester are in top four this season. Like, it's the best Gloucester team for quite a few years, the best start to the season for quite a few years. And he has been playing in pretty much every single game versus, I think, Kinghorn has done extremely well at 10. But as we talked about before, like, Edinburgh haven't played any of the Irish teams. They haven't been in the Champions Cup. And King Owen has never played ten for Scotland before. Bar that Tonga game. Like it, it does just seem quite odd. Uh, the, the only thing I was thinking maybe was that the the Edinburgh style this season in particular is quite is probably quite close to what Townsend wants to get from the Scotland team. Whereas I think a lot of mm. Glosser's success this season has been founded on Forward power in the mall in particular, but I still think that you could bring in Hastings to camp and say, you know, you've been kicking the leather off it for the past three months. Like you're not doing that anymore, and he'd say, "Great, that's my natural game. I can do that." It's not as if he's a he's a, he's a fundamentally different player to that. So it it does it does seem a bit strange.
0: I also think Hastings is a, a relatively versatile player. I I actually quite liked him at 15 for both Glasgow and. When he's had to do it for, yeah. mm. for Scotland, so so yeah, agreed. It's it it does seem a little bit strange, but um, fair play. And and look, I think if, but I still think if Russell was to go down with enough time, that Hastings would would be brought in and 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 would start against England.
2: I think that's probably undoubtedly correct, um, and because of such a correct answer. And because you're so eager, Alan, front, go through it sort of
0: um, positional three, group. Three, yeah. two, three, two, two, three, and then forwards and backs.
2: Okay, well, why don't we why don't we use that as that as a template then? Um, so, Alan, give us your give us your your starting front row for England at sold out BT Murrayfield, fifth February.
0: Starting front row: Sutherland, Turner, Faguson. No deviation from that for me. Yeah, sounds good to me. Perfect. I think I, mean, Tur- I think Turner has um, has clearly been the inform the inform hooker, and I think his performances for Glasgow, especially even when he came off the bench last night, he's just—I mean—he's a psychopath. That that
2: period where he just kept tapping and going and running at Shell, <laughs> La I was like, oh my god, <laughs> it's, it was yeah. crazy,
3: <laughs> terrifying.
2: Yeah, terrific. But you've got to have a little bit of a screw loose to like relish that so much. Yeah. Um, so, right. sec- second
3: rose? Yeah, Gray Cummings. Gray Cummings. The, the only thing we discussed this earlier was that I think there's there's potentially an argument just because Cummings has been injured, and I think he was good against La Rochelle, but I think maybe hasn't looked totally match fit in recent weeks is whether you keep one of Gilchrist or Skinner in there, just because I think, to be fair to them, they've played in a lot of big Scotland games recently and done Mm -hmm. very well. That would be my only potential suggestion for that one.
0: Yeah, look, I think think as a fair shout, I, I, I think Johnny Grey... Is, has, done, has done enough. So oh, Grey is, is nailed on. But I, I think Cummings, and again, is, is the sort of person I, I do think has also <laughs> raised his game for, for Scotland, you know, lo- looking back at specifically sort of a lot of the last Six Nations. And I know this, obviously, you're thinking more from Tooney's version, but as we said, he does seem to be a Toonie favourite. Yeah.
3: I, no, I, I think sure, you're
0: right. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. But to, to your point, I, I, would, I would not be unhappy with either Skinner or Gilchrist being in that starting team, if I'm honest with you.
3: I think, I think particularly Skinner. I think Skinner is, Skinner is a, a cut above Gilchrist, for instance. Um, I think it's just that Skinner, and we'll probably come on to discuss it, probably is like suffers slightly from his versatility, and he's the perfect bench option.
1: Yeah,
0: 100%. And we will indeed
2: be coming on to talk about our bench in a little bit. But, Alan, after much deliberation on your back row options, have you settled with the classic?
0: Yeah, just a quick shot. Johnny Gray didn't play last week, didn't play this week. Um, hmm. One that I've just not really sort of been across, but um, I don't know whether he's hmm. injured or not. So um, maybe but I haven't sort of heard anything in the press Ba- back Maybe we three. will have to reappraise it. Yeah, back three: Richie Watson, Bradbury. I, I think ultimately, you know, it's been Fags and shirt for probably the last sort of eighteen months. But I, I ultimately d- don't think he's been terrible. But at the same time, I don't think he's done enough to like have sort of you know, when we talk about credit in the bank and yeah. Hamish, you know, Hamish Watson very clearly has done performances for Scotland that that mean he has. So enough credit where if he is performing poorly or at least, you know, or quite average at club level, he still needs to retain his place. Whereas I think yeah. Ferguson has been relatively average across the sort of start of the season. I think, you know, he did have a good game against extra at home, but I don't think he's done enough. Whereas Bradbury's clearly sort of steps his game up. And I think clearly, I, I think needs to be rewarded for that. Yeah, I'm.
2: I'm having Bradbury as the usurper on that one. I mean, I think as you said, I don't think Ferguson. He's had it for eighteen months. He's not been bad, but he's not really grown. Perhaps grown in that shirt as much as we thought he might. Um, it feels like it might be one that he'll come back to though, because he is still what twenty four. Yeah, still so young. Still so young. Like he's still like so much rugby in him, and like I think against him in I think France. Had a good game against France, but that the whole pack was sort of extraordinary against France that time. But I do remember that as a standout Ferguson fixture. But I think Bradbury's done enough in the last sort of month or so to to show that he's ready but, to sort of step up.
0: Do you think so? Tuna has Bradbury, Ferguson, and Haining. Oh I, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be surprised if Haining started.
3: Oh, really?
0: He again. He. He, 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 a, I would say, he has performed at an incredibly high level for for Scotland in the yes. last Six Nations. South Africa game, I don't think he was particularly he great. Was, he wasn't great. He's obviously in the squad. Um, you know, it's. <laughs> I don't think it's out the realms of possibility, right? I don't, nope. I don't think it
3: is. I think, I think, like the the Haming thing was sort of a. Uh, you know, like a fun experiment that you sort of got, or you've got the most you possibly could out of it. And then maybe it's the Africa game revealed that his previous performances were like a bit of a flash in the pan. Perhaps, right. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think you're right. Like, but maybe if not- looking at his,
2: he's looking at his starting 15 and he's thinking this is just too predictable. Like, uh, He does love just like chucking something in. Is always the hating option for him. Um, well, actually, so we're, we're pretty settled in that Scotland that 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 pack. Yeah. Can we relatively quickly skip over
0: nine and ten as well? Yeah, nine, ten done. <laughs> Centers. Uh, right, I'm coming. I'm coming at you with something. Gonna see what you oh, think. What, what have you Here got? Here we go. Twelve. Tupelo to thirteen Four. Harris. Yeah, nah, get out. Nah. <laughs> what? Go, let, so, I mean,
1: let, this well, is the... get,
3: present your argument. What's what's the case for Tua Pelotu? The
0: the case the case for Tua two, two is, I think, against that England team. You know, whilst obviously they're missing a few people, if if Bradbury isn't on form. I think it's it's super. It would be re- very good for for the team to have an outlet in terms of Peloto being able to sort of um, truck it up, and also at the same time, I think over and above that, he's shown enough over the last sort of three three or four weeks to show that he does have a bit more sort of versatility and sort of subtlety to his game. And is it
2: instructive that, in the way that is thinking that we know? He was lined up to start at twelve against South Africa, to count, as opposed to sort of counter that physical and offer them a, a, a game line
0: option. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and but then the counter is the fact that he was obviously very happy to start Redpath um, against England yes. last year, right? Um, but no, I, I just, I just wonder whether, and also on top of that, the fact that Redpath. Is still kind of coming back from in, coming back from injury. He's obviously only played one game at 12 since the match at, um, at Twickenham. Yeah, and I wonder whether Tupolo might be the right option for for playing that England team.
2: Matt, who, who's in? Who's who have you got um,
0: penciled in? Redpath.
3: I think Redpath is worth taking a risk over in terms of his fitness and to be fair by all accounts played his last two games for bath come through unscathed and seems like he's actually played reasonably well which considering he's been out for like 250 days or something is pretty remarkable get him back get him into camp um
2: considering bath have shipped like 120 points in those two games as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: um, so maybe that's not the best sign with him driving things. But I think like get getting back into camp, like get him used to the speed of international rugby as much as you can. You um, know, ultimately he hadn't played at that level before. He he started in that England match. Like I think he's one of those players that is worth taking the risk over. And I think my my second option would be Johnson ahead of. To Palutu because I think that whilst Johnson recent maybe like the Johnson Harris combination hasn't quite convinced, I actually don't think To Palutu is very different to Johnson. Um, and I think that whilst To Palutu has been good this season, I still don't think he acts. I think he is actually very very similar to Johnson. I don't I, think he is. I agree
1: like,
0: on. I agree on that. I, I actually think so. I'm very kind of, similar kind of like players. what.
3: Like they, they're sort of like, they're not like absolute beasts, but they're physical enough. They've got good ball skills without being a cam Redpath, for instance. So I'm kind of like, why would you play Tupelo Two instead of Johnson? I don't see quite what you gain by it. I, th-
0: I think I'm looking at them, and I just think Tupelo Two is doing the same stuff just at a slightly higher level for Glasgow at the moment. Does the um
2: the injury to Owen Farrell? He was sort of fairly likely to be starting at twelve for England outside Marcus Smith, or sort of Eddie Jones's comments before he got injured. Does does that sort of change the thinking for Scotland? If it um
0: thinking about the different options for that England have got now, I think from an attacking standpoint, it potentially reduces the value of a Tupelo two or even a Johnson, just because I actually think the Smith-Farrell axis is quite a, would have been quite a good one to exploit, both from 12 mm. and also Doohan coming round. Um, so I think that potentially if they bring in like an Atkinson, it's actually mu- more defensively solid than it would have been with Farrell there.
3: I think if Chu and Lange have come in, then you've got a bit of a decision to make. Uh, whether you say, right, well we'll put in someone a bit more defensively solid, but Absent that, I don't think it changes things massively.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that that 12 shirt is probably one of the, one of maybe three places on the field with in Scotland starting 15. There's genuine discussion
0: about. I mean, back three, Darcy, Duhan, and Hogg. So I I would go Duhan, Hogg, Stain. Stain. Interesting. I think, Mate, state, state your case, young man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I th- I, th- I think stain similar in a bit of a similar vein to Maitland is just very solid at a lot of things, both defensively under the high ball and also just in attack. And so I think he he's a good a good guy to have it for that sort of starting game against England. But then also I I do think. On kickoffs, if him and Finn can work together, I, I honestly think that's an extremely valuable addition to have in that team because he is so good at yeah. um, chasing down chasing down kickoffs. So again, it's one I wouldn't be upset with with Graham or Kinghorn starting in the wing, but I I just want I I, I think Stain has been super consistent. I think he's reliable, and I think he kind of brings. That, he could, that additional of him on the sort of kickoff, is brings something kind of interesting to to the sort of Scotland armory.
3: I also think that Stain so far has proven himself one of those players, like um, Andy Christie, maybe that I think he would be able to step up to that level. Yeah, um, and I think, mm-hmm. as you say, like he gives you that Maitland level of solidity, and I think particularly height when it comes to to the kicking game, which is. Maybe the only question you would really have around Darcy, um, I, I think, I suppose that like you, you could do a bit of a horses for courses because I, I quite like the the kind of mix you get of Duhan, Hog, Darcy Graham. Like they can all do different things, and particularly the contrast between Darcy and and Duhan. And to be fair to Darcy, he's been an absolute fire this year like I think he'll be keen to have a really big six nations after like maybe a couple of ones where it hasn't quite fired as, as we know he can. So it's one of those ones where like, I'd, I'd almost be happy with, with both like, but I can definitely see the merit in staying, uh, pitching up there. Well, there you go. Start, starting 15s, um, in,
2: in the books. Um, should we, should we talk a little bit about bench and obviously, uh, A lot's been made of the Kinghorn versatility of the potential for a 6-2. Alan, talk me through your forwards on the bench, first and foremost.
0: So, Nell. Yes, makes sense. Just solid. McNally. Yes. And (laughs) Uh, the other prop. Um, Schoeman. Schoeman, do you think? Bit of impact? With Scoomin and Batty, right? Yeah. They're they're loose heads. So it's, I, it's not gonna be Javin. Well Javin's it's, tight head. Yeah, I mean just just thinking about and, it. first season. Nell's gonna be ahead of uh, Javin Sebastian. Yeah. Um yeah. and I think probably Scumin. Although oh, Batty Sc- like scrummaging seems to have improved, does get around the park. But, uh well, I, I was gonna I was gonna ask if I actually could foresee a situation
3: where by the end of the six nation this six Nations, nationskuman has unseated Sutherland big, big
1: I think sorry, I think that,
3: I think that if ifkuman can prove himself a uh, good enough scrummager like at least on a par with Sutherland then I think his game in the loose is better and I actually wouldn't be that surprised i think he's shown himself like a, a really high quality operator very interesting. interesting indeed i mean it's a nice problem to have right and even i think even having bassy there as like a solid scrummaging option it's not back the days of god bless him having to rely on gordy reed
0: yeah yeah yeah
2: <laughs> that's true um and Alan, have you have you gone for a six two or have you gone for a five three? I, I, I've gone for a six two
0: split. So your other three forwards are? Gilchrist, yeah. Skinner, yeah. And Darge. Love it. Matt, have you got any, what, 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 what are just, the... Uh... No, but just want to note, when Hanny was chatting earlier, I considered switching Gilchrist with Christie,
3: And having yeah. Skinner as your other second row? Yeah. Yeah, that would be my, my only other um, suggestion, because I think the fact that Christy can cover across the back row. And I actually wouldn't be that surprised to see Josh Bayless feature because yeah. once again he can he can cover all those positions and I think I would love to see yeah I think Darge's form merits him being in there even though he can only play well I could you could probably send one at six if you had to but I just wonder if the greater versatility of Christian Bayless means that they might get the nod ahead of him. I'd kind of forgotten about Bayless, but that's and he, he had some good.
2: Um good interventions in the autumn as well, yeah hmm. and um, swilling around in that terrible bath team,
0: stinking out the place, <laughs> <laughs> and then to finish off the kinghorn,
2: yeah, yeah, go ahead and see we're really interesting to see
0: velicott see how he see how he steps up, yeah, i mean it's, I think there's been a lot of debate about it, but it's it's amazing if you sort of compare, I think him and George Horn over the last sort of 12 months, yeah. just how much, how much their stocks have sort of changed, but obviously in completely sort of opposite um, directions. And clearly for Velicott, you know, he shifted to Edinburgh, I think originally thinking he was going to be under Richard Cockrell, but, you know, luck of potentially for him, yeah. l- luck of the draw, someone like Mike Blair's come in, who appears to be much more suited to Velocot's style. And I think you know, there's an argument to say that Velicott is potentially player of the season so far for Edinburgh, probably after Befelli. Um But he, I think he's probably, I think he's probably played better than Price this season. In all honesty, yeah, hundred percent. At club level, at club level at least, at a club level. But again, I, I do think the, p- the point you made earlier um, about Kinghorn at ten can be a little bit pushed at Velicott as well. Whereas just that Edinburgh team. Hasn't because they've not played any of the Irish teams and haven't played in the Champions Cup. They've they've not really had a, like a run of sort of real challenge. Like they haven't played that a team like La Rochelle, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Where Velikot yeah. might not get the time or get to play this doesn't the style of game that he has been doing for Edinburgh.
3: And the the big game they did play against Saracens. It was Savala at ten.
0: Yeah, and, I know. <laughs>
1: like yeah.
3: Pergos, Pergos is the one who came on and like secured the victory.
0: But I do think he you know, he, he clearly um, has been good this season, and I'm actually quite excited to see him get on. Who for... would you
3: if they went for a five three split? Who would be
0: your other back? So <laughs> King Kinghorn. It's eventually, Houghton.
3: I think. Yeah. Depends if you're starting Carl Stane. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you're not starting Carl Stein, then he probably comes onto the bench.
2: Yes. And then
3: I think it's not, to need yeah. Talking about
2: considering Hutch at fifteen. And ten. And ten. We that that's when we're three from three and going to Italy. That's when two of these items are going to put out the rashest 15 I possibly can, give everyone an absolute heart attack.
3: It, it's interesting with, with Hutchinson, it feels like a few seasons ago when he was absolutely killing it in the Prem and Northampton were going really well, we were all, the Scotland fans wanted to see him in the squad. And I think he got in eventually, but has obviously mm-hmm. didn't get into World Cup squad and hasn't really featured since. And then it was almost quite surprised to see him in the squad, actually. But you kind of forget about it slightly because no one was really. I don't think he's been quite good for Northampton this season. Like they've not been that good, really, particularly at Europe. Sure. So it was a bit of. It seemed like the timing was a bit odd.
1: Yeah,
2: but always nice. Always nice to see him in there. Um, Well, there we go. Anything else to say on the Scotland squad? Two weeks to go until um, until the big game. We will do all our predictions. Um, when we get a little bit close to the time, looking forward to working with the guys at Matchpoint again um, as part of their Predictor League. So look out for that in the next couple of weeks. Um, but Alan, should we should we round things off? Should we usher in the new year and welcome it along with a quiz? People have been chomping at the bit for this.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think it should be quite a, a little bit interesting. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, guys. <laughs> what? What? Well, so what I've done is i've taken i've looked at 10 scotland instagram accounts so no one look at instagram for the next five minutes i'm going to give you the i'm going to give you the 10 names and then i'm going to ask you to call out who you think is top has the most followers okay then who's got who has the second most? And i'm going to give, then give you the answer then who has the second most followers who has the third most followers i'm going to sort of go through the list but i'm going to give you the 10 names up front and you can start start to kind of build out your ranking and then obviously you okay. can edit edit it as you get more info so okay go ahead ally price yeah ryan wilson yeah jim hamilton Ooh. stuart hogg uh-huh Wee Greek. Big in Japan. Blair Kinghorn. Yeah. Hugh Jones. That was a lot of influencing. Tom Evans. Ooh. Hamish Watson. And Finn Russell.
2: Okay. But like, so, so what you want us to put in our
0: bed for number one? I want you to both put in your bid for number one. Okay.
2: Okay. Um, because he's married to a Pussycat doll, Tom Evans. Matt?
3: Yeah, I was going to go for Tom Evans as well. I mean, I wasn't, but that logic <laughs> has made me go for Tom Evans. <laughs> uh,
0: he's, not, he's not married to Nicole. But- Sorry. It has helped him to get to 273,000 followers, and he is number one. And also, I guess he was on Strictly, wasn't he? So, uh, yeah. Yes. Also, so yeah. also, just Ultimate Hunk. Oh, so there's a, lot, there's a lot of Hunk coin that you can get as well. Yeah, great, great looking lad. Um, number okay.
2: two. Sorry, what did you say? He was at 276k. 273k.
0: Okay. Um, right, Matt, you're, you're first up for this one. Who is, your, who is number two?
3: Can I talk you through my logic? my reasoning.
0: Yeah. sure you're working.
3: I I think I'm going to, I'm torn between going for Jim Hamilton or Stuart Hogg because I think Stuart Hogg will have the most just like general rugby followers, whereas, but Jim Hamilton also obviously was a rugby player, but then has built this kind of media career. I'm going to go with Stuart Hogg.
2: Hoggie's got Hoggie's got a lot of deals does pick up that sort of like wider rugby fan base there's there's a part of me that's interested in Greek because he might have just picked up the Jap- the Japanese market and he is really really popular um also I've got Finn as an outside shot but um I know Jim's 273k um I'm going to go
0: for Greg Laidlaw Hanny's 2-1 up. Hoggy oh. is number two on 163k. 163k for Hoggy? Yeah. Jesus. Number three, Dave? I'm going to double down uh, Greg
3: Ledler. Honey. I'm going to... I think Finn, your little mention of Finn might have
0: thrown me. I'm going to go for Finn. It is still two one. Jim Hamilton is number three oh. on a hundred k. So Jim, it's a big drop, there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone else is obviously now under a Hyundai. Who, Matt? Who's fourth?
3: Okay, I'll, I'll
0: stick with Finn. Dave, um, I'm throwing out Greg. Uh, um, <laughs> I'm going to go with Finn as well. <laughs> Good job, three two. Finn on ninety k. Who's who are you putting in for fifth?
2: Um, is it, sorry, is it, is it me to go? You did, um, yeah. Okay, so let me just delete Finn from my little list. Right, let's have a look at this price. No limited. Um, Kinghorn's two two regional. Hugh Jones, a little bit more uh, of a shout. Ryan Wilson doing a bit of media now, um, but I'm no, I'm no returning back to Greg Laidlaw. Matt,
3: I'm gonna go with Ali Price. Three all. We Greg oh, is thick.
2: Yes, eighty-six
0: a- k. I'm happy with that, Greg. Eighty-six k. Must be, must be chuffed for that. Right, Matt. Who's sixth? Come who's on. Left then? with Hugh Jones, Ali Price, Hamish Watson, Ryan Wilson, and Blair Kinghorn. Who's going yeah, to be the I,
1: lowest? I was kind
0: there.
3: of. Yeah, this is this is tough. Uh, I'll stick. I'll stick with. No, you know, I think Hugh Jones has got more of that kind of Instagram vibe, and he's got that kind of professional Instagram. Go, oh, fiancé now, I saw. So I'm going to go Hugh Jones. It's a really
2: really interesting shout.
3: I'm not going to go for Hugh
2: Jones. I'm going to go for Ryan Wilson, because he's now doing lots of different stuff. Um, And he might be attracting a little bit more attention.
0: Matt goes 4-3 up. Uh, Hugh Jones, 50.3k. Jonesy boy. Dave, who comes in next? Um, Ryan Wilson,
3: Matt. I would think that Wilson would have more followers than Watson, for instance, because he's a bit more active on social media. Yeah.
2: And, I think I've got, and, I and seems think to have, have been last.
3: Yeah, but hear my logic. Watson has also been like a big doddy person recently. Okay. Like he's like yeah. one of like the you know I'm like Edinburgh. I don't know, spokespeople. I wonder if that might have given him, played the Lions, He's been around for quite a while. Maybe it's more than you'd think. Maybe that's stupid. I'd say Price's, Price's vibe is more Instagram. But so is King. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's okay. go Price. Let's go Price.
0: Mag was 5-3 up. Ali oh. Price, 50.1. So two hundred behind Hugh Jones as of I think it was Wednesday. Um, right, we're we getting down eighth spot. I've got I've got no mistakes here. But it's Matt. Yeah, Matt, you're up first.
2: Matt's in the driving seat here. Fuck
0: Wilson <laughs> we'll we- Watson Kinghorn. Who have you got? Uh, let's
3: go, Wilson.
0: Dave. Do I,
3: so it's like
2: that three-door problem. When you're given more information, you should always change. So I'm gonna go for Watson.
0: Dave Claws one back. Five yes. four to Matt. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I gave you that logic as I gave you the info. So left with two. Right, no, no, no mistakes here. You're you're up first. I'm going to tell you. So Watson, is forty-five point seven. Yeah, the two that are left are twenty-one point six and nineteen point five. I'm going Ryan Wilson at number nine. Matt, Um. I think you could you could technically win by default by just saying the same answer. <laughs> yeah, that's true, <laughs> I, I was thinking that.
3: And then I thought how much do I want to win? How much do I want to just you know be a good guy? Uh let's go.
0: Let's go um Kinghorn. Matt wins six four. Uh, <laughs> Kinghorn well at twenty one point six, Ryan Wilson at nineteen point five.
2: There was a genuine tension towards the end there, actually. Yeah, quite, nice was, you were right, Alan. That did have the potential to be quite interesting. <laughs> uh, so I think, it, I think it, it fulfilled its promise
0: towards the tail end there. Nice. There's a lot of,
3: lot of tough people that you're like,
0: you know, you don't quite know. Yeah, it's just, I think um, probably Hugh Jones being ahead of people like Price and Watson Um. Uh, he's big time though, isn't he? Yeah, I guess it think... makes sense, and also doesn't make sense. I, yeah, he, he's also got the South Africa, the Scotland, and now hmm. sort of the Harlequins. Whereas you look at some people who are only a one club
1: man. Yeah, different
0: markets, isn't it? Yeah, sometimes I like that. hard to sort of build build up that audience. I, I was surprised that Kinghorn was bigger bigger than Wilson actually, but I guess he's got maybe got a young younger demo following him, he quite like some dance music.
3: <laughs> Wilson Wilson needs to pick it up if he's going to become a. NFT bro.
0: Exactly. Well, he's not
2: selling enough NFTs, yeah. He's, yeah. But that NFT, I'm not getting into NFTs. My wife has <laughs> made me dinner and I need to go and have it. So, um, thank you very much for, for joining us. We will, of course, be back now I think every week as we run up to the Six Nations um, and throughout that tournament, Scotland's first Grand Slam since 1990. How exciting is that going to be? Um, so keep it on the Thistle on Twitter at Thistle Rugby Pod on Instagram Thistle underscore rugby underscore pod and get that newsletter sign up done just go and do it now Substack Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast and we'll be with you every step of the way until then cheers guys
0: see ya see ya